from New York, it's Ask an Engineer and a Bear. Ask a Bear. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's me, Lady Ada, with me, Mr. Lady Ada, and uh, best friend, Teddy Rockspin here. Modified Hack Bear. Modified Hack Bear, which we'll yeah. be chatting about. We did some hacks in today. Again, excited to here with lots of content, including hacking, CircuitPython, new products, videos, yeah. guides, projects, retro, some cool retro, which I don't really recognize, but apparently anyone who's around my age does. And more, including a discount code, Mr. Lady Ada, tell them what's on tonight's show. On tonight's show, the code is NeoDriver, 10% off in the different store, all the way up to 11.59. Yeah. Talk about some for live shows, including Show & Tell. Desk of Lady Ada, a little bit of a recap, including the Great Search. Two Breach Product Pick of the Week. A bunch of retro tech, including my little hacker this week. Some factory footage, some 3D printing speed up. We got INAPI, top secret, new products. We can answer your questions. We do that on Discord, adafruit.it slash Discord. That's where we answer your questions throughout the show. But for the good ones, save up towards the end. We get to all of them. All that and more on, you guessed it. Ask an engineer. Whew. It is going to be a jam-packed show. I, yeah, see, I see like there's six layers. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's like a seven-layer burrito of content. Code is NeoDriver. It's going to be because of our star product tonight. Y'all have watched the show probably never. We have free stuff. That's right. We still have freebies. $99 or more, you get a free promo proto half-size breadboard. Um, $149 or more, we're still giving away the KB2040, RP2040 dev board that is Pro Micro Pinout compatible, has castellated pads, semi-QT and RP2040, so it's great for uh, lots of microcontroller projects, including many of the ones that we cover on the show. And... Uh, $199 or more, you get free ground shipping in the contest United States. Still waiting on a shipment of Circuit Playground Expresses, and we'll bring back that freebie as well. All right, a little bit of a recap. On Sundays, we do, from the desk of Lady Ada, um, come to two parts. Lady Ada, what was part one this week? Okay, so part one was me not having finished this Teddy Ruxpin hacking project. Yeah. So you could see me in the middle, which is a little bit like, ah, you know, I want to get this thing working. 
Um, so I, I worked on trying to figure out how to uh, reverse engineer fully the file format and we create new uh, story files, binary story files to put on this uh, animatronic bear. Um, you know, at the time, I think I was heading towards the build root slash Gidra uh, version of this project where I was trying to run um, a, a UC libc build Linux on an ARM32, which is like a Raspberry Pi, to use that to run this decoder library so I can decode and encode the audio files. I didn't quite make progress with that, um, but I showed using Gidra, which um, is a very cool um, reverse engineering tool. I've used Hexray's IDA Pro for an earlier reverse engineering project. So I did. I do own a license uh, for it. Um, at the time, Gidra didn't exist. But I was like, you know what? I, I need an excuse to like try Gidra because I haven't I haven't tried it for um, decompilation, and it's like really sweet. Uh, if you ever have to do any decompilation work or reverse engineering work or binary hot patching work, I'd like hot patch this binary uh, to skip a, a test that was causing my program to fail because I it's not running on the right processor. So I just like skip that step or something. Um, and I did get you know the program to at least run, even though it didn't run correctly. It did it did do what it was supposed to. So that was kind of neat. Uh, also, never used build root before, so you know if you want to build small Linux builds, um, you use like BusyBox and UC libc. Uh, build root was pretty easy and had the ready to go um, uh, config defines for the yeah. Raspberry Pi. And just you know, there's always, hey, I want to learn reverse engineering and like I want to understand like how this stuff works. To me, this seems like a class in it. When you look at what Lady Ada did from start to finish, and then the fact that you can kind of play along, um, you know, one little pro tip as we kind of go through tonight's show is go to eBay and look for the 2017 Teddy Ruxpin. So they're $8. So this is- They're like cheaper than the motors would cost. So they're $8. There's one $8. It's like, oh, a little like, you know, blemish on it or something like that. Um, you could rip the fur off of it, put a different thing on it. Now you have, like a $250 advanced animatronic thing, and you'll be able to uh, turn it into your own custom talking teddy bear or whatever other animal uh, you want to you want to turn it into. So koalas, which are not bears, according to Teddy Ruxman. Yeah, this could be a cosplay thing. So, anyways, um, and there's thousands of these out there because the company went out of business. The bears don't really do anything anymore, and this really brings it back to life. So, anyways. Um, so I was in the middle of it. I finished yeah. this morning, but you could watch me in the middle of the project. So for the great search, you did the chip that's inside the bear. Um, right. What did I do? I, I thought did... you did the... Oh, I did the, yes, the NRF51 module. So um, this chip, this this bear uses the Sonic's 16-bit um, uh, processor, Seems not a own processor. popular choice amongst toy makers. Toy makers, yes, use it because I used a different toy hacking project build to... Uh, to modify um, this this bear, uh, so the Sonics is a 16-bit um, chipset that does a lot of. It has a built-in amplifier and it's designed to like drive motors and it's like really good for low-cost toys, but it doesn't have Bluetooth. It's not a Bluetooth-enabled chip. And this was back in 2017, so they didn't have or 2015 is when this was 2015 probably was designed 2016 and then released 2017, um, and they didn't have um, an easy way to add Bluetooth, so they actually used um, an NR51 module, which we know that chip. We've used the Nordic. NR51, A22 for like a decade. Um, it's not a bad idea if you have a chip that you know and you love and you just want to add Bluetooth, it might be easier to paste a module in than like redesign your whole thing for, for a Bluetooth capable chipset. Uh, especially one if you have to do the audio decoding and you all have the firmware and and it you know, like when the app works with it and everything. So um, I show on DigiKey there's actually a ton of options for NRF 
51 and 52 based modules um, that are FCC CE Telex certified. So you get your product to market really fast. Yeah. Either use it as a coprocessor that just does the Bluetooth, or you know if your code uh, can run on NRF 52, which is um, what I think I picked in the end. Um, it's a fairly big chip. You could probably have your entire application running on it and also get uh, that Bluetooth capability. Yeah, and like folks are putting in the, the chat, you could have um, your own dragon reading you stories um, with this modification. Cool idea, like read, yeah. like how to, to stitch something that uses the oh, yeah. the mouth movement. Yeah, one of the projects we're going to do is now that we can put our own audio on there, is I'm going to like make a story for our kid, have an AI Morgan Freeman voice read it because it just sounds cool. And... Uh, I wonder if you can get the figment, like the 3D print figment, like scale it up. Yeah, and fit the so this is like a neat project. There's a lot of crafting that you can do. Also, it's a lot of electronic stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, before we move on, you know, as you also dive into this world, it's the toy world, which is very different than the electronics world. I thought they, you know, back in the it's day. It's like at least Sherry. Yeah. Like nobody's helping anybody. Back in the day, I was like, oh, when I was at Make Magazine, I'm just like, oh, like I should totally go to Toy Fair as a journalist. And just see what it's like because like these must be like makers and they're doing cool electronics like and, and it must be like a magical happy place where everyone loves each other no so toy fair i went to jacob javits and toy fair i think was the most stressful like anxiety ridden everyone hated each other it was like it was like knives out i restraining orders some people can talk to each other there was there was theft there was stealing i accidentally stumbled upon something uh it was scholastic that had this other sub brand that took something from evil mad scientists and so then i was stuck like kind of negotiating like hey could you just give them credit that's all they want because there was like a, the bristle bot thing that came up you can google it on uh and you'll find the the controversy that was on make um but it got resolved got resolved um but anyways it was like gnarly like this was like and so the other thing about toy fair is uh no kids allowed because obviously you can't have kids running around in like toy fair because this is where business and stuff is going but there's like salty veterans of like the toy world and like they have patches and like one leg and like they've seen some shit. so anyways the toy fair was intense um so that was my toy fair experience jp's product pick of the week let's do the recap it is the feather rp 2040 USB host, rather than plugging in, let's say your mouse or your keyboard straight into a computer, you can use a microcontroller, this one right here, to intercept that incoming USB and do stuff with it. We have one core of the two and both of the PIOs doing all of the USB host duties. That leaves the second core for everything else. Take mouse information and apply some logarithmic filtering to it so that it actually slows down the cursor movement when you move the mouse quickly. Mouse slowly left and right. It's moving at kind of a, what I would consider a sort of normal mouse pace. But now if I move the mouse quickly, it actually is slowing it down. It's actually making a little bit more accurate, which could be really useful uh, as an assistive technology device. If you have uh, a bumpy ride, you're on the train. It is the Feather RP2040 with USB host. And don't forget JP's workshop on Thursdays and deep dive with Tim Fridays, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Let's do some retro. Okay, Retro is going to be in two parts this week. First, we're just going to recap one of the things that we put on the socials. Um, you're on Blue Sky now as Adabrute. Mm -hmm. Fun. Um, Follow me yeah. on the 
on the blue sky. The um, what are they called? Skeets. Skeets. Um, and, me. Yeah, and so uh, this was this was in a various social media places. Um, you know, social media networks really nice the first couple of weeks because everyone's nice to each other, and then you know, then it's toy fair. Then, it, then it's then it's toy fair. Um, so <laughs> it's good. I like how you brought it back. Um, so this is what we we posted up. Um, this is the three com laundry. We have one, and this was a brief period of time in the I guess the dot com era when. You know, cell phones weren't that great. So, but there was internet. So, 3Com um, is like, okay, we've got this thing. We're going to do internet appliances. It's called the 3Com Laundry. And it was on sale for seven months. Um, you know, there was a dot com crash. It was released um, the year 2000. Wow. So, October 17th, 2000, uh, seven months later, gone. Um, but it's pretty advanced for what it was. Uh, really interesting design. It's supposed to be a kitchen computer. So, um, you know, once you connected it up, you can browse the internet, receive email. It was um, able to sync with two Palm devices. Kind of cool. You know, 3Com had their, their history. With, oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, 3Com was the Palm. Uh, it was named after Audrey Hepburn. You know, that's kind of cool. Um, it reminds me of Magic Capital. But... Yeah. Um, it used uh, QNX's operating system. Kind of see... You know a little bit more about it here. So they discontinued it in June of the next year. Um, and then if you were a 3Com Direct customer, you got a refund. But if you bought it anywhere else, they didn't tell you about that. So uh, some people were mad. But the, it's lived on with some hardware hacking. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So has a touchscreen, has a stylus. Uh, it was powered by a 200 megahertz geode, GX1 processor. Oh, excuse me. 16 megabytes of flash ROM, 32 megabytes of RAM, um, about four pounds. And like I said, the idea was to, for it to be in your kitchen. This is where you would browse the internet. No box art and everything. And then um, folks started hacking it. So, um, you know, there's folks out there that can do something. There's an updated web browser, MP3 player, um, photo frame. Um, well, I had Ethernet, which was funny. Had Ethernet. There was other things called the eye opener, the Virgin Web Player, the Gateway Touchpad. But it was a a thing, a, a brief period of time when this was going to be our, our future. But you know, it turns out everyone just has you know the supercomputer in their pocket. Don't really see people centering their their internet snacking. This is what they. There's always this like this dream of like the, the, the kitchen the kitchen computer. Yeah, we you know it's like things that keep getting tried over and over and over again. There's been so many like attempts at it. Like, oh, you know, look up your recipes. You know, you should have your refrigerator tell tell you when you need to get it. What's funny is, of course, this is very similar to the Amazon show. Yeah. That you've got. Yeah. And so uh, that is the Audrey. Okay. So, like I said, retro is going to be a little bit different because. Bear hacking is kind of retro because in 2017, yeah, it's, it's retro. It's retro. Um, so it's also kind of part of our toy, our My Little Hacker toy series. So um, I thought we would just show a little bit of the ups and downs and the uh, the the challenges that Lady Ada had hacking this. So let's let's kick it off with the My Little Hacker segment. My little hacker, my little hacker, building with you is magical. My little hacker, my little hacker. Okay, so I'm going to start with the good news. 
Um, here's a video of a, of a happy child and a happy mom after it was working. Uh, that was today. And so I'll start with that and then we'll, we'll work back from there. We'll, but we'll back to the tragedy. Yeah. Super fun. Oh, okay. So, uh, Lady Ada. Okay. How'd you get? So you you <laughs> bought this Teddy Ruxpin. Well, this was released in 2017, and you bought one. I think when it first came out. I bought it in 2019, and I'm like, I'm gonna do something this one day. Yeah. One and day. then it was on the shelf. One and, day. And then like a couple weeks ago. Or two weeks ago, you you brought it home because we were at the office. You're like, oh yeah, the Teddy Bucks bench. And you brought it home. You had it in the box, yeah. and you brought it back. And we're like, oh, that's cool. It has like these animatronic eyes and voice. And I was like, let's see, you know, what you can do with it. So, um, you know, your first up, you look up the iFixit, you know, um, teardowns. It's got this this processor in it, and it can do again. You know, the mouth moves, and there's these TFT displays for the eyeballs. I'm going to say that they borrowed the idea or were inspired by Phil B's eyeball code. Um, but what is really neat is on the back, next to the battery port, there's this micro USB slot. And the micro USB slot um, is, you know, when you plug it in, it shows up at files. Um, but the way you're supposed to kind of use this is um, you download one of the apps. So I just took a you know, screenshot. It, it has low ratings because it doesn't really work anymore. Um, but there's a there was a Google uh, Play app for Android, and there's an uh, iOS app, and the app still kind of you did eventually get it working after like sort of kind of it kind of sort of maybe. Um, but the idea is that you would use the app, and it would um, you would connect to the teddy bear over Bluetooth, and then the storybook would appear on the screen. There's like a video from Animanga Plus, any any Manga Plus, which is the app developer. Um, the the toy was made by Wicked Cool Toys, but the app was done by Any Manga Plus. And when you connect, it syncs, and so like you can read the story on the um, instead of having a paper book, you would read the story on the tablet, and it would like follow along as you like you know when you press the next button, it would go to the next page and all that good stuff. Okay, so you plug it in um, to USB, and it shows up as a disk drive with a folder called Books. And initially it only has a couple, this is the one I just plugged in and it has all the stories, but initially it actually only had uh, three stories, I think, in the idle and intro bin. Intro bin is that first thing when you turn it on, it says, yeah. you know, hello, my name is Teddy Ruxpin, can you and I be friends? Idle is actually just the animation of the, when it's not doing anything, the eyes move back and forth, so just like plays this idle animation. And then the stories each are about 15 minutes long or whatever, it's like five, 15 minutes long and they're songs and, and they're pretty cool and everything, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, you can, uh, get the songs, um, in case you ever lose them, or maybe it did come with the songs. You can get the songs from, um, internet archives. Somebody uploaded all of them, or maybe the app gave them to you. I don't remember the story, but basically you can get the binary files here. Um, and it has all, all the stories, all 15 stories, but you can't like, if you drag it off the SD card, that's in the bear the, the micro usb port it doesn't like magically play them you have to unlock them by paying through the app and that's what's going to be eventually um not going to work i mean it works now but i, I think eventually it's not going to run on um like we even saw on um, android you know every once every few years they're like we don't let you run old apks anymore you have to uh, force recompile them and who knows if this company's going to do it and then if you actually look for the company that made the toy, the website doesn't exist. I think they were purchased by another company. 
anyways, like that's gone. I mean, like it's kind of cool when the domain doesn't even really exist. Like there's usually the SSL failure that happens um, when they don't renew their SSL certificate. Um, and then they they went past that. So they're just not even around anymore. Um, okay, but that's fine. You know, I keep Googling and, and there was um, a talk at DEF CON on dissecting universe engineering the smart pair. And I'm like, oh, perfect. Like this is exactly what I want to do. I want to update the audio um, and the mouth movements and I want to make my own story files because like the stories that come with it are cool, but like I want to make my own stories. I think that would be neat if I was telling a story or like, you know, grandmother was telling a story, you were telling the story or like you had an AI uh, version of, you know, some, of, uh, like some famous person telling a story or whatever, like do deep, deep fakes on the smart bear. Um, that's okay. It's gonna be mostly me telling the story. Well, the, the thing is, um, so a lot of people have these. Yeah, they're still available. Like I said, if if you wanna if you wanna go in and get one right now, because probably after we release all this stuff, um, you know, people will start to charge more on eBay. We can get them for eight bucks, but I think the there's a lot though. I'm not. I, I think I, pick one up if you want one. But I don't yeah, think the, the dream is to always have a animatronic toy that you can hack and mod. There's oh, like there's so many things that you can do with it, from it being an accessory for a cosplay thing to um, just wanting all of it's so hard to do all of those things whether you're trying to 3d print it and do motors and like whatever it is putting that all together the injection molding the battery um having it even be safe yeah you know it's one of like double a batteries it's a yeah. very well made and you can you know see the iFixit video or whatever it's yeah. very well made okay so this presentation there's also a video um go to the file format of the binary and this is really useful because like um, this group of people, Xenofax and Exploiteers as a group, they, um, you know, figured out the, like, by messing with bytes, they figured out what each byte does, um, and basically said, like, hey, here's where the, um, the eyeball data lives, and it's uncompressed, and here's where, like, the file format, and here's the audio data. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, I opened up the, um, the binaries that I've gotten, I'm like, yes, okay, it is the, it's the same format. That sounds cool. Um, in the talk, they mentioned releasing, you know, maybe some uh, creation software at some point, but it was never released. So you're kind of, kind of starting from just whatever was in the documentation in the presentation and recreating um, the extractor. And then once I have an extractor, like once I can get the data out, of course, I can um, put data back in. Um, so I just started writing some Python code and it's like, you know, struct, unpack, look for the magic bytes, blah, 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 follow everything at ground. And um, getting the eyeball images out was pretty easy because they're just 128 by 128 raw RGB 565, which I'm super familiar with because all of our TFTs are RGB yeah. 565. So it's like, oh yeah, this file format is like, I'm also an interesting study in uh, eyeballs on LCD um, screens. Yeah. So um, very nice. And I mean, the eyeballs also do this animation thing, which was not extracted, but I probably won't be creating the animations like the they do like these little hard sparkle things. Anyways, um, the good news is that I just, you know, you gave me like this Adafruit logo 128 by 128. I used Pillow, this Python image library, and, you know, pasted that back into the eyeball code um, for the idle screen and like, boom, you know, that worked. So that was... That just showed like, okay, there's no like CRC. You can edit the file and put it back on. Um, you can, you know, inject and change the data without any issue. Okay. So the next issue is um, I want to do something with the audio. So the audio has this thing called the mark table at the beginning. So you see that there's like AU and that's like the, the you know, the, the magic bytes. And then there's a bunch of um, 
numbers that are like zeros and, and ones. And that, that tells the bear, the chip running the bear, how to open the mouth for the audio file. Like what, when does it open the mouth at what point? Um, and that's with a timing table. And then after that, there's all these FFs. And then there's this beginning of the audio. So the audio is kind of two thirds down is the audio starting. And so I was like, okay, you know, is this uncompressed audio um, and open it up in audacity. And it's definitely not uncompressed. It's compressed audio, which doesn't surprise me too much um, because audio is really, really big. And uh, some of these audio files are 15 megabytes and they probably were like, look, maybe we'll transfer it over Bluetooth. We should uh, compress it in some way. So, um, you know, looking through the documentation in the, the DEF CON thing and also um, the chip itself is called the Sonics chip. This is called the Sonics Audio 32 format. And it's it, proprietary, it's not really documented. Um, I found a, you know, a couple projects. The project on the top half of the screen is someone who um, was hacking some like Japanese toy um, that used the same Sonics chipset and Audio 32 file format. And they used QMU to run the ROM of the toy and use that to decode audio. Like it literally just used the toy ROM as a, the firmware as a way to encode and um, sorry, to decode the audio or maybe encode it as well. The only thing is that you need to have the ROM of the toy to run it. So that was kind of like a no, no go. And then at the bottom, you know, there was this other person, Zach, um, and they were like on the FFmpeg IRC channel. And they're like also kind of trying to do the same thing. And they were kind of researching the, the Sonics codec. So I actually just followed along with this like IRC chat. And, you know, like it was kind of fun because I was like back in time. This was like from 2021. And I was like watching, you know, they didn't know that like, what was going to happen with COVID or something? I don't know. And um, got to watch this person kind of going through this audio 32 hacking. Um, also, like looking up the data sheet, and then I Googled the data sheet and Googled files, blah, blah, blah. It's basically a lot of Googling and like GitHub searching, et cetera. And I found, um, and I'll document all this, you know, but in the end, I found um, this repo that had the SDK for this, the Sonics chipset, and it included this libsnx audio. .so, linked library file. It also had some code that you could run that would encode or decode audio. And I'm like, oh my God, this is it. Finally, it's like, I've got the library file. I've got some code. All I'll do is compile it. Um, okay, but the only problem is, is that when you look at the file type for that lib SNX audio, audio 32, it's not x86, it's ARM. Uh, okay, no, not a problem. It's going to ARM. There's no x86 version, so I'm going to have to run it on like a Raspberry Pi, but I have Raspberry Pis, not a big deal. But then actually I ran on the Raspberry Pi, I didn't get a quick screenshot of it, but it doesn't work with glibc. It needs uclibc. And uclibc is what's used on like embedded Linux setups that are minimal, which makes sense. This could be like some you know, yeah, product uh, that uses the Sonics um, audio stuff and it's like a small device or a toy it's not going to be running like a full-fledged debian install it's going to be running something like build root so i've always been wanting to learn how to use build root build root lets you build these automatically build these very simple small um, linux installations for embedded linux it's not like a full debian install it's very minimal uh lots of things are missing like wget but worked my way around it got it running and it's all on the Raspberry Pi ARM computer. Tried to compile this code, it compiles, and it doesn't run. It fails. Oh. And it says, I can't, it's not succeeding in opening the codec. Okay, what does that mean? 
try all these different things and I'm, I try every argument like I spam the argument list and it's just does it will absolutely not run I'm like there's something going on here that's causing it to fail and then I'm like well you know what if you go back to uh this no sorry this one you'll notice it's got debug info and it's not stripped cool that means it's prime for Ghidra, which is a reverse engineering decompilation tool released by the NSA. Really good tool. And I actually did an amazing job. If you look at the code on the right that is decompiled from the ARM assembly on the left, like it's completely readable. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it is like code. That's like, scary. It's, it's like, really yeah. scary. Yeah, it's like, well, it's very good. And so <laughs> you can actually see what's going on. It's opening dev mem. Um, you look oh. up the sysconf, it's memory mapping. Um, one page worth of data and then it's it's reading it and it's trying it's it's reading something from the registers on the chip and it's checking it against a value f8 and i don't know what it is and it's like it's some register value and i guess it's never used again i don't know if it's like a security check or if it's like verifying you're on the right version i don't know but what's really cool is with Ghidra you can hot patch so that check where it returns zero if it's not on the right chipset or if it doesn't get that right memory map value I just changed it from a not equal to an equal and then it just like totally ran um the other problem is that the audio that came out you know i tried encoding and decoding and the audio was not intelligible like i tried decoding the audio from the bear and it didn't come out right i don't know why but i was kind of messed with it for a few hours and i was like not really working out and then i was like looking around and everyone keeps saying oh the audio 32 codec it's just g7221 everyone's like it's just g7221 okay cool download some g7221 Encoders, decoders, 0.1, 0.1NX, C, non-NX, not C, not one. Tried all of them. None of them were able to decode the audio. Um, there's something, you know, it's it's somehow modified from G7221. Anyways, I was kind of like messing around. I was like, I'm not really getting anywhere. I can always go back to that decompilation code and try to like recompile it for like a processor I know or like see what's different with G7721, you know, audio codec. But I kind of was like, this isn't really going anywhere. Okay, so I kept looking around and then i found a different library called lib audio 32 encoder ah and then i found pdj stone who is like the hero in this story <laughs> this is like the hero's story like you know the like the standard um archetype of the hero yeah at the the, the, the darkest corner there you know an angel comes down and gives the hero or like some mystical beast hanging on the edge of the cliff yeah it tells them like oh here's the sword you need to defeat the dragon and you're like you know you're saved by um some outside deus ex machina anyways this is pdj stone great thank you wrote this cloud pets toy um encoder so you could play audio on this cloud pets toy, which is a unicorn that's doesn't have a moving mouth but uses the same sonics tool uh uh tool chain and chip it doesn't it and you send the audio over bluetooth so he, he uses a web bluetooth thing to send the audio over does you don't drag it over on a um, micro sd card instead you you do this lib audio 32 and here's why he's actually very smart this person was quite smart they took the um apk for android and you, it's a zip so you unzip it and he grabbed the um library from inside that so i didn't realize you could do so cool uh i looked and yes in fact in the apk for um the apk that he's got the apk from um the android app for the teddy ruxman is the same thing lib audio 32 encoder and decoder.sl um, it's also available in like a zip in one of those SDK things. And I'm like, okay, and you can even see like the 
AU file header thing, the sample rate. Okay, everything's matching up. This looks like it's the right file format. It's named audio 32 and it's got that correct header. Um, but then um, the only, yeah. Oh, wait, you know what? I didn't uh, send you the next. Oh, no, I didn't send you 23 and 24. Oh, I must have forgotten. Or maybe you can check. So I forget uh, the images. Oh, they're gone. Oh, no, I didn't. Okay. No, because this is where we we, we stop. Um, so this is kind of where I was this morning. So the good news is that this, um, his code actually does run, but it only runs on, um, I did, I did, it was like, okay, I'm going to run Android on a Raspberry Pi, installed Android on a Raspberry Pi computer, because again, I needed ARM32, tried to run it, and it said, you can't use anything with API 23 or higher because the linked library uses relocatable text. Um, you can go to us because... Oh, yeah? Yeah. You don't want to just leave it on the screen for a while. Well, I mean, if I want to read this code, but I, well, I, have, my, I have my Nexus 7. So um, so tried running the Python code on Raspberry Pi. It said you can't be using APK 23 or higher. APK 22 or lower is Android 5.1. So I need a device that can run Android 5.1. And that's when I grabbed my Nexus 7. Um, everyone has a Nexus 7. They were given out for free, basically, in 2022. Yeah. Um, and it even says, like, hi, you're running Android 5.1. So I pulled this out, wiped it, cleaned it up, charged it, which takes overnight. Don't forget to charge. You know, it basically runs out of battery in, like, 25 minutes. And run Termax, and actually within like 20 minutes, I was able to encode the audio. This was like, it only took me like 30 hours to get to this point, one of 20, 30 hours, but I did get there. Um, so now, unfortunately, you know, the only way I've got right now to do the audio encoding and decoding is um, if you've got something running ARM32-based Android 5.1. But yeah, I, think I think now that I've got it working, I have this golden path because I like I can change the audio. I can go back and I think I can probably get that Android. Yeah, there's a 64 bit uh, app. There's a 64 bit app which may have libraries, so at least you don't need 32 bit. Um, and might be maybe it's recompiled with non relocatable texts. Um, I didn't think to even look into it. And I was like, I was like, oh, maybe there's a different, like, I was like, oh, maybe there's a 64 bit. And there's an app and it's like never mentioned anywhere. Um, it was on the YouTube for the Annie Manga because I was looking at their Annie Manga the YouTube and they mentioned like, oh yeah, we released a 64 bit version of this app like two years ago. So I just got that. And hopefully with that, we'll be able to run the code on a modern operating system so you can generate the audio. Yeah. And um, we'll do a question here because I asked the same question. Did you consider using Android VM? Wow. Yes. Did I try <laughs> Yes. Yes. There's a reason it didn't work though. It doesn't work. So if you're using the Android, well, you can't use an Android VM on your desktop, which I tried. I skipped that because it was like such a failure. Um, first off, I couldn't even get Android 5. There's an Android 5.1 build for MMU, but it just didn't even like, I wouldn't, you know, turn off Hyper-V because you have to turn on, like at some point in a project, you're turning on or off Hyper-V. Ran MMU with the Android 5.1. It did, doesn't even boot. But even if it did, um, I don't think that MMU is compiled for 32-bit. And I, the x86 library wouldn't work. It was kind of like, there's a lot of pieces that would have to fit. Like, remember, it's not just, um, you have to be running Android. You have to be running Android 5.1. And it has to be 32-bit. And it has to be on an ARM core. And Jepler tried QEMU to run Android. And he said, actually, um, 
he tried he, you know he got to the point where you run the code and it dies with the cpu um op exception so it's like there's something in this file that's just totally horrible and that qemu doesn't even support so it is like not a yeah. thing this is like a software version of my visit to the toy fair it's like yeah and like you have to go it's like you have to travel back in time like let's travel back in time to 2017 in this landscape of all these things but the good news i know it's went on for like 20 minutes but the good news is um I, now that i've got a golden path like the way i reverse engineer is i get the final thing yeah. and then now that i've got it working from beginning to end i can like make it easier like i'll i'll attack it from both sides it and works. then a lot of toys use this chipset um so it might be handy for reverse engineering yeah. a variety of of toys so it's happening it's just like i only got it like working in like this morning at 11. yeah such a long time ago my little hacker my little hacker building with you is magical my little hacker my little hacker it's time to build and show okay um so we're going to continue to do a lot of toy hacking but you know it's not just like but also my baby yeah well a lot of this stuff is really useful um, especially if you're doing electronics. Yeah. So, um, it's now time to do some newsletter chatter. Um, we have an Adafruit IO newsletter and it's really good. We haven't really promoted it uh, as much as the, our other newsletters, cause it's one of the newer newsletters, but I thought I would just remind everyone we have one. Um, same thing as all the other things we don't spam. Um, we don't do anything, you know, that every other newsletter seems to, um, here's a sample. This is from April. Um, Star fragments, fish farms, and more. We cover all IoT things, and um, including projects from Adafruit. But if you want to make things talk on the internet, if you're interested in ideas, this is for you. And as always, it's on Adafruit Daily. Get it once a month, and um, sign up AdafruitDaily.com. Check it out. And uh, help this be, you know, a good example of a newsletter. Doesn't spam. Doesn't harvest your information. We don't have any sponsors for it. We're just showing stuff that we think is really cool. And speaking of, it's Python on hardware time, um, Lady Ada. We got our Python on hardware newsletter this week. Um, minor update. Just we should mention two new Circuit Python versions were released. So this is 8.2.0 beta and 8.1.0 that remains unchanged from the release candidate last week. But beta has a couple new features, continued enhancements of SynthIO, and the RP2040 alarm.sleep underscore memory. So if you want to check it out, check out our blog post. You can see more. And then we get into our usual news. There's a lot of Python IoT stuff going on this week. There is Microsoft device oh, script really cool. programming microcontroller. Something like ported TypeScript, like, yeah. like MicroPython, but TypeScript. Yeah, that's cool. They like TypeScript over there. This is like a, like, well, I mean, I'm just going to get out. You can check, it, check this out. But um, it's device script. And it supports ESP32. Tiny script for tiny IoT devices. Um, S2, S3, and C3, I think, and also the RP2040. Yeah. It's cool. They've been working on it for a while. I've been watching their their GitHub. So that's kind of cool. Um, you can check out the certification courses, data science from Python and IBM. Um, just on a side note, IBM and... Um, Little Tykes, I think it was called, did a, like a big server computer um, for children. And it was $2,600. And it's this uh, thing that they were selling to like daycares. And I can't find it anywhere. Anyways, um, 
sending data between multiple Raspberry Pi Pico W's, and of course, all the streams that we're doing this week. Um, Dan was uh, last week on the CircuitPython show, and then um, next week is Martin Tan, author of the Microbits Projects with Python and Simple Board Computers. Do check that out. And then there's some Laura projects. So um, like the IoT newsletter, it's like, hey, here's IoT stuff that you can do that you own, that you can make yourself. And then with our CircuitPython newsletter, it's really expanded out to kind of all things Python. Like keyboards and things yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like gramophone's uh, kind of cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, once again, same thing. You know the drill. Get it once a week. Ate it for daily. I like stuff. It's the only way to keep up. I, I do. I have to keep We're, up. We are curating because there is too much going on. Um, open source hardware. I'll tell a little bit of, of a story. Speaking of, uh, it, it's hard to keep up on things. When I was writing at Make Magazine, and I think I had first met you, or like maybe right before I met you, I was writing about open source hardware, and there was nine projects. That was it. Yeah. All nine. I did a gift could, guide. Yeah, you did a gift guide. I did a gift and guide. That's it. I did a gift guide. Top nine things you can get during the holidays that's open source hardware. It's like chumby, you know. <laughs> it was like there is a very small number. Um, the MP3 player that uh, Raphael made. Yeah, he made. He got, yeah. he got it every every year. That was it. And then I get to the point where it's like, okay, this thing's really taken off. I can only, I can probably do like a listing. So I, eventually there was like fifty, a little harder to deal with. And then eventually there was so many where it was like, well, I'll do uh, different things like music open source hardware, um, sensor open source hardware, and then just like. The whole industry exploded. And I remember every Friday I would write up a uh, blog post on Make about all the stuff that SparkFun was. This is about 20 years ago um, that SparkFun was up to. Maybe like 15 years ago, so 16, 17 years ago. And um, speaking of, this week, SparkFun just released a two and a half minute video of uh, they're celebrating their 20 years in biz. And um, SparkFun's an open source hardware company. In fact, out of all the companies that certify open source hardware, Adafruit and SparkFun are the top two. And then there's like a really long tail they're, of their machines. Yeah. So um, do check it out. Um, we like to celebrate and elevate all the open source hardware companies out there. But I remember they were like one of the few that was doing open source hardware. So I tried to you know, get the word out the best I could have made. Let's do some factory footage. our factory footage let's do some 3d printing we have a speed up we're going to do this and then we'll do some ipi on the other side see you soon
Brought to you by DigiKey and Adafruit. Thank you, DigiKey. This is when we look at all the cool new products that are being introduced. Over on DigiKey, this is Nixperia. Lady Ada, what is Nixperia? Nixperia is a new name for the NXP uh, family of chips. I think they kind of tweaked their name a little bit and also tweaked mm -hmm. their logo. Uh, so it caught me unawares. Um, but this week's INPI is the NEH 2000 BY. Available in a QFN 16, and you can see that fancy new logo on the top of the uh, chip render. This is an uh, MPPT, uh, a low-cost, no-inductor MPPT controller for solar panels to charge batteries for wearables or other small devices out in the field. It's an energy harvesting PMIC, um, but it really is designed best for uh, photovoltaic, otherwise known as solar cells. Um, so what's really cute about this chip is it's very inexpensive. Um, and it's very small, but it still has max power point tracking for solar cells. You can use pretty much like a three volt solar cells, so a, a good place to start. Um, and it's used for charging batteries. You can run electronics off of it. It's just designed to be very small, very low cost, very simple to use. Um, but with the power and, um, efficiency of max power point tracking. So the sun, this is a photo from NASA, very cool solar flare image. Um, you know, what gets power from the sun superman and the <laughs> neh 2000 uh, py so you want to have a product that is powered by the sun or perhaps something that can charge you over usb but you want to you know it's outside because it's agricultural to wearable or it's uh some sort of um, environmental monitor it already has sunlight access and so adding a low-cost solar cell, I mean, solar cells are very cheap. They're on the order of like, you know, pennies or a couple dozens of cents. And you add this chip, which is about a dollar. Um, and before you know it, you can extend the battery life by trickle charging a battery uh, in between <clears throat> bigger scale charges. Or maybe if you are efficient enough, you can run your entire project off of the sun. Um, so the issue with solar cells, I've used this image, it's a, a great picture from Wikipedia, is that solar cells have you know this is um each cell has about 0.5 volts of open circuit voltage that's like the, the where all the colorful lines drop off 0.5 and depending on how bright it is the amount of current you can draw until you hit that cliff varies so this is you know a one cell that can provide up to you know 40 milliamps max um this 0.04 amps max that's the red line um, but once you hit that 0.4 voltage, and you see it kind of ranges at the lower uh, at the lower current outputs, like dimmer sun, you get maybe 0.35 um, volts before the cliff. And then as it gets brighter, you get closer to maybe 4.45 volts before you hit the cliff. But that trying to find the maximum point, that point right before the voltage collapses, um, and trying to keep your charger operating at that rate is very difficult because things that plug into the wall usually don't, they, you know, you'll, you will hit a certain limit, but you'll get a much more gradual voltage drop. And so it's a lot easier to stay within the functioning range, but also at light changes throughout the day, that voltage point will vary as well. So you have to constantly be adjusting. So it's from the video. And they're showing like, you know, the traditional solution is you just set a fixed voltage and you say, okay, 0.3 volts. That's the, the, what I'm assuming we get from the sunlight. 
but you don't get the maximum amount of power. If you want to get another 10, 20% or more, you really need a max PowerPoint solution. Uh, so that's what this does. And it's very simple. Um, VN is just connected to your solar cell. Um, and you get the MPT controller, and then you just connect the battery output. Um, you have a couple GPIO. VREF is for the charge booster, which I'll discuss in a moment. Disable turns it off, which is very useful if you're doing over voltage or over current protection, you want to quickly turn it off. And SysReady just lets you know whether um, you know, there's enough power to, to run whatever device you want to have trickle charged off of the NEH2000BY. Uh, um, this is the uh, typical application. So you'll notice um, we've covered other MPPT chargers and a lot of them use inductors for buck or boost conversion. This one doesn't. Um, they don't really mention what is inside of it, but they sort of mention it's like a doubler. So it's probably a charge cap, um, a switch cap converter. Um, so the input voltage from the cell is doubled uh, and then regulated out to VBAT. Sorry, not regulated out to VBAT. So you may have to uh, do some regulation on VBAT if you have to keep it under a certain voltage. Um, to, you know, there's a bit of math in the data sheet, so I won't go through, but basically you want to make sure because it's, a, it's even though it's boosting two times, it's still a linear converter in a sense. So you want to make sure that you're, you have enough solar cells in series to be high enough to have a little bit of voltage drop over the battery voltage, right? Because if you are, say, charging up a light poly battery, it is usually about 3.7 volts, but it'll go up to 4.2. That means you need to have 4.5 volts on the VBAT output so you can have like a little headroom maybe for a voltage regulator or, or charge controller um reduce the doubler reduce the inefficiencies etc basically your voc of your solar cell should be about 0.7 times the maximum v battery so turns out if your v battery is uh 4.2 volts your voc is going to be three volts which is a very common low cost uh solar cells about um six cells in a row um but the trade-off is is that there's no protection on the output um it will you know charge the battery and the vbat will sink a little bit as it's charging but eventually your battery will be full you want to make sure that that vbat doesn't keep going it doesn't try to charge the battery past 4.2 volts into 4.5 volts in which case again you might want to either use uh some sort of regulator or charge controller or you can use a low cost over voltage protector when the VDD, the VBAT hits 4.2 volts or whatever, um, it turns off the disable pin and it shuts off and then will turn back on once the VBAT drops below 4.2 or 4.1 or whatever. So you'll have some hysteresis. Um, you'll keep your battery charged, but it won't overcharge it. OVP charge controller, it's up to you. You know, you probably have a charge controller already in your design. Uh, you might feed this through a diode into your charge controller and they can share um, the charging state and um, protection with uh, the USB charger you've got. Build on them, did you keep? It's in stock, lots of them. And you'll note, you know, basically the, the trade-off of having an inductorless design is it's a lot smaller, um, less noisy, less prone to vibration issues because you don't have to worry about the inductor breaking. It's also a lot cheaper yep. and easier to manufacture because it's a QFN. All right, we got a video. And then on the other side, we'll uh, do some new products. That's INMPI this week.
Energy harvesting allows ambient energy generated by light or movement to be captured so it can be used to power devices. Nexperia Energy Harvesting takes this a step further by using a unique ultra-fast maximum power point tracking, or MPPT, to maximize power extraction under changing conditions. What makes energy harvesting difficult is that we do not control the power source. As such, the power input is frequently changing. Imagine a solar-powered smartwatch on your wrist. If you move your hand, the light exposure to the solar panel changes. In order to collect as much energy as possible, the Power Management IC, or PMIC, designed for low-power devices, needs to continuously adapt to these changes. In traditional power management, the peak efficiency is the most important aspect. With energy harvesting, the average efficiency throughout the day is key. This is determined by how well the chip can adapt to its changing environment. Traditional solutions are unable to adapt to a changing environment. The advantage of Nexperia's MPPT is that our energy harvesting PMIC measures its own power outputs. Every second it checks all possible options, instantly finding the best setting that will maximize the amount of power collected. When more energy is collected, this means fewer batteries will be needed for low-power IoT, making Nexperia Energy Harvesting an environmentally friendly solution that can contribute to a sustainable future for electronics. Nexperia. Efficiency wins. Okay, we're going to just jump right in. Yeah. Okay, coming soon. It's not out yet, but a lot of people have been asking about it, so I wanted to get it in the store for signups. Is the new Prop Maker Feather. This will be out in a week or two, hopefully. Um, but you can sign up now and you'll be notified when it's in stock. It's uh, the latest in our series of RP2040 Feather Designs. Um, but this one is designed specifically to make it really easy to make props, animatronics, uh, and toys without having to do any soldering. It's got um, an I2S amplifier, so it kind of improves on the, the prop maker feather wing by having digital audio as a little servo port so you can um, uh, connect uh, small hobby servos. It's got a button input. It's got a LIST3DH triple axis accelerometer and a NeoPixel driver, as well as, of course, all the feather pins um and all the gpio that you would normally want to use you've got the four adcs and like 21 gpios and battery usb-c for debug and charging um and there you can even disable the lipo charger uh we'll show how to do that later if you want to run this off of double a's because we're doing some prop projects and we're like oh what if we want to reuse uh existing you know double a battery pack um you can probably do that so terminal blocks pre-assembled make it easy to uh, uh screw yeah. terminal anything you want on It'll be coming to the Adafruit shop soon, but I want to just preview it now. Uh, we have an update for the Adafruit Feather ESP32-S2. Like many of our other feathers that use the LC709203 battery monitor, that battery monitor has been discontinued. So we're now uh, revising them all to use the MAC17048. Um, this has the MAC17048. It's otherwise identical. It has a TFT screen and buttons, um, STEM IQT port, uh, ESP32 S2 battery and all that good stuff. But the battery monitor has just changed from the LC to the Max um, type, and we have libraries for Arduino and CircuitPython on both. Okay, next up. 
Uh, we have a new product from our friends across the pond at Pimeroni. This is an inventor hat mini. It's interesting. It uses a very seesaw-like thing going on there. There's a chip um, from Nuverton that is pre-programmed with firmware that handles all the timing for servos and motors so that you don't have um, to do that on the Raspberry Pi or have separate I2C chip. Uh, our Cricut hat's, you know, much more complicated, but it's kind of the same idea. But this is uh, less expensive and smaller, so it can drive... Um, eight servos. Oh, mom, that goes with the people. Sorry about that. Everything looks black and gold, I know. It's got a stomach QT port and a user button. It's got uh, two motor controllers with a DRV8833, which you can get again. Uh, and an I2S amplifier. Everyone loves this. Uh, Max98357. Um, and it uses also ports you can use with uh, encoder motors. So you can have um, something that has encoder motors for a more precise motor control. And it's a uh, fully assembled... Uh, mini hat bonnet um that you can plug right into your raspberry pi computer all right and the story of the show besides you lady ada our team our customers our community um has a little bit of a story yes so we actually uh got this email like a week ago um they'd seen the video but they were like this is what it's used for and i'm like it is uh so this is a captain of a first team so it's a robotics team and they have a board that they're required to use and um, if you want to do something funky with it that isn't part of like the first ecosystem, it's very difficult. Uh, so they want to use NeoPixels because they want to light up the robot, but nobody's written a NeoPixel driving library for this chipset. Um, but they do have access to I2C. So now you they could use this to control NeoPixels, which is a very common request. This is it. Um, so this is a bunch of NeoPixels, but uh, this is the board. Um, so the way the board works is it also has a little helper chip on there. And uh, let me show it on the overhead because it's um, it's not lit up, but I can show how it works. Yeah. I'll, uh... Okay, so... One second. Um, so let's say you have a microcontroller or a board. In this case, I'm using an RP2040 because... But it, it which does have NeoPixel support, but maybe... Um, all the PIOs are used on your RP2040, and so you want to uh, control some NeoPixels, or maybe you're using some exotic chip that, again, nobody's ported a NeoPixel driver for. Um, but you still want to control NeoPixels. You need that specific timing. It's very hard to do. So this chip on here, the um, ATtiny1616, will take um, messages from I2C over here uh, from the RP2040, and then convert, you know, it'll say light up this pixel, that color. And then when it's done, it says, please show the pixels. And it will write the data out to the terminal ports. Um, so on the back, there are five terminals. One thing to note, you will need separate five volt power. The uh, NeoPixels need about 20 to 40 milliamps per LED. And so if you're driving in any Neo NeoPixels, you're not going to be able to power them over this little thin wire here. You're going to need a chunky power supply and chunky wires and uh, either connect them to this terminal block, which then goes through and powers the NeoPixels. Um, or you can do something like this, where um, you have a five volt power supply and you just power it directly into the red and black wires of your NeoPixel. But then the signal wires, the white and gray wires here are uh, signal and ground. Um, this data will come out of this chip. And so you just have to send the I2C commands and most chips you know do support um i squared c fairly easily and we've documented the commands so if you're not using circuit python blinka or you're not using an arduino compatible chip 
we have libraries for those. But if you're using something else, you could, of course, port it to that platform. You can drive up to, um, I think, 512 pixels. But I will note, you're driving the pixels over I squared C. So it's not going to be very fast. You can run this at uh, 1 megahertz uh, I squared C. And that'll do much better. You know, the default is 100 kilohertz on many platforms. I would bump it up to 400, 800, 1 megahertz clock rate. Uh, and you should light up as few pixels, sorry, you should write as few pixels as possible before you write the, show the entire strip because every time you set, change a pixel color, it has to send a message back and forth to say, hey, this is what the pixel color should be. Um, so that will slow it down. And you're never going to be as fast as native NeoPixel driving. But if you have no other way of driving NeoPixels, it does work. It just it basically, as you get to like 200 pixels, it can slow down a bit. But for... Um, you know, about 100 pixels, writing uh, the data 800 kilohertz or 1 megahertz, um, you'll get almost equivalent to native NeoPixel uh, driving speed. So um, this could be a really easy way for you to add NeoPixel support to a chipset that you've got, uh, as long as it's got I squared C, 3 volt or 5 volt I squared C it'll work with. And uh, it even has a little switch cap converter here. So if you're running this off of 3 volts, it'll generate a 5 volt signal. Uh, for a nice clean NeoPixel driver. And um, you can change the I2C address if you want with these jumpers. All right, I have some questions lined up, so we're going to get to top secret, uh, and then we'll just jump right into the questions, and then we shall bounce. All right, first up on top secret, Jepler. Hey, Jepler, what are you working on? So I've been working on creating a self-contained retro computer using uh, Adafruit feathers. So here we have a CPM emulator called Run CPM, and I can, for instance, go to my B drive and run the famous game of Zork. But basically, it's a fully featured CPM machine like some folks would have used in the 1980s. And it's independent of like a laptop computer with a feather that has the USB host controller, SD card reader, which is where the software lives, and the uh, feather with digital video output. So this is also running the CPU emulator, and this converts the uh, USB keystrokes into serial and sends them over here. And as a result, you've got a whole computer made out of some feathers from Adafruit. All right, what's this? Um, this is an update to the SGP40, which is a popular gas sensor um, that we've stocked from Sincerion. Um, the SGP40 does air quality. This one adds um, NOx, so like nitrogen oxides, I guess, uh, is the how you pronounce it, um, sensing. And uh, is pin compatible, so I spun up a quick board for this. Okay. You also did this. Um, this is the SHT41. We stocked the SHT40 and the 45. Um, the 41 is kind of like in between. It doesn't have as good as 45, SHG 45 precision, but it doesn't, but it has kind of the pricing of the SHG 40. So it's kind of like not too hot, not too cold, right in the middle. Okay, that's our top secret of the week. Moving right along. We've been listening to the Muppet movie. That's been playing a lot. There's a really good one when Rolf the dog is trying to console Kermit for like he's having pig problems, 
And he's like, yeah, go home, I hang out by myself, drink some beers, take myself for a walk. Anyways. It's it's funny. They, they, were, they were very funny people. Yeah. Anyways, because okay. um, he's a dog. Yeah, um, okay, so I'm going to combine these two. Uh, Power Boost, 1000C. Um, it's probably out of stock because a lot of chips are still hard to get. Um, not a lot of them, but some of them. 7051s are hard to get. And I think the PowerBoost 1000C is, is uses the TPS chip, also hard to get. The good news is that it, when it does come back, we'll make more. Yeah. Is I there just, any substitute or no? We just got to wait. There wasn't. I actually talked to TI and they're like, uh, we don't really have a substitute that does exactly what this does. Okay. Uh, so we will do it at some point. Well, oh, yeah. As soon as I can get chips. I just don't have chips. There you go. Yeah. Uh, will there ever be a StomachQT motor server driver? There will be um, probably both. Uh, there'll be like a little motor driver, but it's just like, um, I'm not sure exactly what chip yet. Maybe the DRV8830, which I did design a board for that I couldn't get chips the last couple of years. Um, but I did remake the prototype, so I might try to get that working again. Okay, this one's a longer one. Um, some people answered. It's like, how do you deal with scope creep? You're designing something and all of a sudden you got feather wings, STEM QT. Um, and you're adding a bunch of features into a single product. The person would like to get into PCB design and use multiple boards, but they're struggling to bridge the gap of knowing when to stop on adding. Um, well, definitely when you integrate, you know, it seems like you're adding a lot, but when you actually make a final PCB, it won't be as many parts. Um, I say publish early and often. Um, you know, one thing I've learned as I've been doing this toy hacking project is it's like people tend not to publish anything until they're done, but the problem is that you're never done and so they never publish um and that's that's a challenge so i would i would recommend even if you're like hey this isn't finished here's what i've got um if somebody had done that for some of this toy hacking so it would have saved me a lot of time um, one suggestion <laughs> too is give yourself constraints like it can only be an inch by an inch or it has to be less or than it has to be weeks. has to be five dollars yeah because all of a sudden you know those constraints will make you be very creative or no solder required yeah, yeah. is there a dvi library um like Pico DVI in the works for CircuitPython? There is DVI support um, for the DVI Feather and for the um, Pimeroni DVI board. Um, if there's a CircuitPython build in it, like the REPL and display just goes to the DVI. It's not, um, it uses a lot of memory, but it does work. Um, is there any good resources on learning BLE? We have a bunch of guides. Um, on the learning system about BLE. Yeah, so getting started with Bluetooth, hardware design, easy to use chipsets. I mean, the Nordic stuff. Nordic stuff's good. Yeah. Um, they're also, they have a lot of resources online, like you're, and they have forums and yeah. real people. Um, next up, what are all the temperature sensor reports? It's HT41, have a cut on them as avoid being affected by onboard temperature variations. Yeah, it's best, if you're using a temperature sensor, it's best to have a cutout to isolate them. And so it's measuring the air, not the circuit board. Yeah. Which is what most people want. They want the, the air measured. I think that's it. Okay. Yes. Well, we're wrapped up. That's it. Thank you for taking uh, time. We'll try to publish our event. Yeah, publish more often. I mean, like... Publish. Ge or perish you know generally speaking um my so over time there's an arc of the questions that we've been asked um People ask but, but there's an intersection so sometimes it's like how do i run my business and like i want to make sure that like how do i innovate how do i do stuff and like sometimes i'll get questions sometimes lady it'll get questions i'll say like <laughs> what sensors do i use um how do i do this stuff 
the answer is starting to become publish often because once you start doing a publishing schedule, um, you get more done, you document your mistakes, you document your successes, and you get used to uh, releasing something. It's kind of why we do this show every week. Because like no matter what, like it'd be weird not to have anything to talk about in the show, so it kind of forces us to do it. Um, last up, the I2C new pixel board just shown is it possible to do a repeating pattern with that board? Send the code to the main COU to focus on other code. No, I mean the, the new pixel protocol is pretty. It, I want to keep it simple. You really just say I want you to write this pixel to this color. It's it's meant to be simple, not optimized, because people can always optimize it later. But it's open source. You can you can modify if you like. Okay. Them's our shows. Thank you so much, everybody, Thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. We very much appreciate it. Um, we'll have more. I've been up for a long time. Yeah, we'll have more toy hacking and stuff. Huh. Um, I started the documentation of this, so this will be a guide. My name is Lady Ada. Can you and I be hackers? Yeah. Um, so we got a lot going on with this. Someone posted a video of the Teddy Ruxpin, this one, without the uh, fur on it. It's the perfect thing to put other things on it it's like it was made to do that you can so. yeah they can definitely turn this into a different toy it's yeah. just it's just stuffed inside so that can be fun we might, we might do a project like that okay we'll see everybody next week custom stuff um, special thanks to the aid for team that's in slack i don't have slack open so i do not know um thank you and this has been an aid for production this is your moment of zener bye everybody, bye, everybody. Yeah.